0: I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter one. What I want to talk to you about tonight is about when does the church begin. I talked this morning about when it ends at the rapture and many people can understand that and agree to that. But a lot of people have trouble believing, well, when did it really start? You may not think that's important, but I want you to understand why it's important. If somebody says the rapture is not going to happen until the end of the tribulation period, can that not affect the way you think and feel and the work that you get done? You'll be looking for the, uh, the blessed Antichrist because he has to show up first. Does that affect anything? Any error in theology, any doctrinal error affects your thinking affects your life, affects what you do and don't do. Now, there's things that God wants us to do, and if we don't understand what those are, and they definitely refer to us, then we will not be found as obedient as we ought to be. Because if God says to do something, and we put that to somebody else at a different time, and it belongs to us, then we're going to have trouble being obedient in that area. So this is why it is so important, because... Maybe here at Calvary, you feel a sense of a security thinking, well, they're doctrinally straight, fundamental, so we don't have to really worry about it. So you can just twirl your thumbs and whistle through the dark and don't worry about anything. But you may not always be here. God has a way of sometimes moving his people around, putting them in other places so that they might even be a blessing or they could, you know, help teach something or challenge something or whatever. God doesn't keep all of his people in one spot. I don't know, after 50 years, that's uh, never been the case. They don't always stay, and it seems like they scatter at times. And sometimes the Lord spreads people out for His own purpose that we don't understand. But when you do, you're going to find out that not everybody's on the same page. Not everybody believes the gospel the same way. And so there's many other things in God's Word. So this is an important issue. So I want to just start with, first of all, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when the church began. Some of these things I've covered before, but I wanted to have one sermon where I had it all put together in one sermon. That may not be done tonight. I sure hope so. But we're going to get started. So here in the book of Acts in chapter 1, Jesus Christ has come back from the dead. He has shown himself alive after 40 days, infallible proofs that what he said was true. He had already told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But He also told them to wait until they were endued with power from on high. So it wasn't to begin when He gave the command. They were to go when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days from the resurrection. So you'll notice what he says in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which said that ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So at this point, being baptized by the Holy Spirit had not yet taken place. John the Baptist, three and a half years before, had preached the baptism of repentance. And the baptism of repentance was simply, if you believed on the one that was coming, which was on Christ, they were to be baptized in water. But John told him, says, I baptize you with water, but he that cometh after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So up until this time, no one has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. But he does tell them here, wait until. Now look there in verse 8, where it says, But ye shall receive power, after that a Holy Ghost has come upon you. In other words, the authority to go and witness, to do what I told you to do. Now, he's already told them, but he's also commanded them not to go till the Holy Spirit came, and that was the authority by God for them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they were also to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that was the command. Reestated here in verse 8. Then he says here in chapter 2, in chapter 2, look there in verse 32. Verse 32 says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received, past tense, of the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost. He hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. So when this verse is written, it means that something had to happen between this verse and the verse over there in chapter 1. It hasn't happened yet. Verse 33, it's past tense. So somewhere in between here, there had to be the coming of the Holy Spirit. And lo and behold, chapter 2, verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Holy Spirit came, just like He had promised. And so the people that were there were baptized by the Holy Spirit. And it happened at this time, the first time. It had never happened before. But now it had happened, and this was a baptism of the Holy Spirit for the Jews to be bound together into the body of Christ. Now take your Bible and turn all the way over there to the book of First Corinthians. First Corinthians and chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. Look in verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now, these were carnal Gentile Christians, yet they've all been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It didn't say they all spoke in, it didn't say they did that. It didn't say that all of them could heal and all of them could do this and, that and the other. No, no, no. It said, but you've all been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. There are no scriptures to command anyone to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The reason is because that's not your choice. That happens automatic when you trust Christ as your Savior. You are placed into the body of Christ, meaning that when Christ died on that cross, that's a picture of you on the cross. You see, he did it in your place. So you were on the cross. You died on the cross and you paid for your sins on the cross and you came back from the dead. Now, because what he did was put to your account, it was just like you were in his body. So all believers are in the body of Christ. You have been placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now get this. He says all of this in verse 13. Whether we be bond or free, Jews or Gentile, have been all made to drink into one spirit. So one spirit, one body. Now go back there to Acts in chapter 10. Acts in chapter 10. Peter has talked to those on the day of Pentecost, the Jews. Now he's talking to the Gentiles in chapter 10, and he preaches to the Gentiles the gospel. When he preached this one phrase, look in verse 43 To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. When they would believed in Jesus Christ, they would receive remission of sins. And then notice the very next verse. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. They heard the word, and when they believed, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. So it's Jews and Gentiles. This has never happened before in all of creation. It's never happened. This happens now for the first time. Jews... Gentiles, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. So then he says here in Acts chapter 11, very quickly, because he's now rehearsing what took place at the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And he says in verse 14, Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? And as I begin to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us, At the beginning. So there has to be a beginning. When was the first time this ever happened? On the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost has to be the day that the church was born. And so you have baptized Jews and Gentiles into one body. This one body is now called the church. It's the time of grace. It's the body age. The church age. The time in which you and I live. Now, These things are important because it's so important to know when did it first take place. And the Bible says that we've all been baptized into one body. Now, the next thing I want you to see is this. The church started before Paul. Many people believe that the church wasn't started until Paul showed up. And Paul started the church. That is an error. So then they had to change it because there were so many scriptures that disprove it. They said, well, maybe there was two churches. You know, the church before Paul got here and started another church. So that's why Paul does not teach some of the same things that Peter was preaching. Or many independent fundamental Bible-leaving missionary-minded Baptist churches even preach. And what we preach. That it started on the day of Pentecost. And the command that he gave is why this is so important. So, I want you to take your Bible first of all. Look there in the book of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And you will notice the last chapter, last command, which is sometimes called the Great Commission, Great um, Compassion. And so, it's, um, it's called these things. And uh, some believe it's actually caused the Great Cause. Greg Steer calls it the great cause. So he started a whole thing called the cause. And the cause is a good cause. So look what he says here in verse 18. And Jesus came, spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Or to the end of the world. Now, see, if this command doesn't hold to the church, we don't really have a definite command anywhere else in the scriptures like these commands to go into all the world and do it. It's more like an option if you want to. It would be nice. But it was a command to do this. And because of the command, there was also to be baptized. Because it was a picture of what you inwardly believed. And so, I believe people have lost out on a great blessing, a step of obedience, by not being baptized like God wants them to, because there's some preachers that tell them that you don't have to be, that it's not that important. If God says it's important, everything God says is important. You and I are not the ones who get to pick and to choose what we want to believe. You're supposed to read the Bible, study it, and believe it, and then we're supposed to live it. And so, therefore... There's many who do not believe that this is important. But I want you to see this. The church, started by Paul. Look there in chapter 2 of Acts. Paul did not start the church. The church, believe it or not, was already here before Paul ever showed up. Paul doesn't show up until chapter, last part of chapter 7, part of chapter 8. But he didn't trust the Lord until Acts chapter 9. So a lot of things have been going on in between here. So in Acts chapter 2, I want you to look at this verse. Look there in verse 47. Chapter 2, verse 47. And this is chapter 2, right there in the beginning, where it says, when Peter had preached this great message to them, and all these people who trust the Lord, about 3,000 of them, he says in verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church, Daily, such as should be or were being saved. Now, here's the church right here in this verse. Paul doesn't even show up until chapter 9. So the church existed before Paul came on the scene. And that's important to know because if you ever leave here and go someplace, you say those things are not that important. They, everything is important. Everything in the Word of God is important. Or God shouldn't have put it in here. So whenever you're going to say this is what it says, then you've got to defend your position. It's very, very important. So we know from this verse, it was already there. Look there in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And look in verse 1. Here is a story of Saul, and this is his name before he became Paul. So he says in verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Talking about Stephen, who has just been stoned to death in the previous chapter, Saul gave his approval to the man being stoned. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the what? Against the church. How can he persecute the church if it didn't exist? Well, it does exist. And it existed before Saul ever got saved. And then he also makes this statement. In verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, and committing them to prison. So this is definite proof that the church existed before Paul came on the scene. So what God had given to the apostles on the day that uh, he commanded them to go into all the world and preach the gospel as a command. You see, if it's true that the church was started by Paul, then the command that was given to the apostles won't apply. And therefore, we have no command to go into all the world. But wait a minute. What does that do to everything that we're pushing? Why are we doing this? Because I do believe the church started when it was supposed to start. And I believe the great command to go into all the world was true. As time goes on, little by little, people lose their motivation. They lose that challenge. They forget about that command that we have. It's like more like, well, that's an option if you want to do something about it. You don't have to. Is the Bible true? Then we should live it because it's what it says. Therefore, I believe that these things are true. And I believe that missions is our sole investment. It's why we do what we do. Think of all the things that we have and what we're doing and why we're doing it. But if there is no command, we don't need to do any of it. You take it away, you strip it away. There's no power there. But it's the challenging thing. Otherwise, how am I supposed to take kids to camp and challenge them to be soul winners if there is no command to do it? Am I doing something that's wrong? It's illegal? Am I legalistic because you're given a command? Some people say, well, if it's a command, that's legalism. It's just like, you know, parents got children. Is it legalism if you tell your kids right and wrong? If you... Tell them to obey and they disobey. you got some do's and don'ts and some rewards and some punishment. That's not legalism. I'm not telling anybody, you've got to do this to be saved. No. Look at the next one I want you to see there in chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And look in verse 4. Acts chapter 9 verse 4. And he fell to the earth. Talking about Saul. He heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, wait a minute. How could Saul persecute Christ? Christ was in heaven because the idea of the body made up of believers. When you persecute those believers, you're persecuting the body of Christ. So this idea of this body made up of these believers was true before Paul became Paul. And he was persecuting me. He says, why persecutest thou me? Also, I want you to see this. Because these verses are right here, and they make a lot of sense, and they help you to see that these things are true. Look in verse 30. When the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the, and you ought to underline this word, churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So where were the churches? There were churches in Judea, churches in Galilee, churches in Samaria. Well, how did they get there? They were there before Paul came along. So when somebody says, hey, Paul started the church, impossible. He did not. Now there's things that God revealed to him, but he also revealed them to the other apostles. Paul didn't learn the gospel from other disciples or apostles. He didn't learn the truth about the church from the other apostles because God revealed that knowledge to him. But it wasn't knowledge that other ones didn't know or hear or anything about. That's in the dispensations that we'll get into it in another message, but not tonight. Uh, another verse I wanted you to see is found there in uh, Galatians chapter 1. Look in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, and look in verse 13. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. This is only to show you that Paul could not have found the church, and it could not have began with him. The churches were already well established. And he says here in verse 13, For you have heard of my behavior, my manner of life in time passing, the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He tried his best to destroy the church. That's Paul. He didn't start it. He didn't establish it. But he had some knowledge that God revealed called mysteries, which we also call and talk about in dispensational truth. And like I said, we'll get into that in the book of uh, Ephesians in chapter 3, and Colossians in chapter 2, and so on. But there's a lot of scriptures that deal with this issue. But you have to get a little bit here and a little bit there, but it all comes together. Now look in Acts chapter 28. Because you see, they say the things that belong to the church is not the Old Testament. It's not the four Gospels. It's what Paul wrote. So Paul wrote only those things that the Christians need to listen to and learn. Well, look what you've done. You have robbed God's people of the rest of the scriptures that Paul didn't write. Doesn't the Bible say in Romans chapter 15 that the Old Testament, these things were written for our learning. So it may be not to us, but it is for us. And we can learn from reading those things. When you stop and think about it, when Paul did show up on the scene, he didn't have the New Testament. He preached to the people from the Old Testament, and he used Old Testament scriptures. And even in the book of Acts in chapter 9, it says that he went into the synagogue, and he preached to them concerning the Son of Man, and proven that he was the Christ. So Son of Man, he was deity, but Christ, he was the Messiah, and he used Old Testament scriptures to show that. And then you'll also find in the book of Acts where he talks about, they talk about the uh, Berean Christians, they call them, because they studied the scriptures daily to see whether those things were true. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures. Who was doing this? Well, the church. And so there's people today who say, well, those are not for us. And they don't we don't need those things. And so there's a lot of them. They just overstep all those scriptures and just teach the book you know, that Paul wrote. No, all of the scriptures. Paul made the statement, he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all, all of it, every last bit of it. But in Acts in chapter 28, Paul is at the end of his ministry. And so there's those who say, well, we don't have to teach concerning the things of Christ. So they don't even want you to teach concerning Matthew chapter 28 where he talks about the command. They don't want that covered. Because this is what ultra-dispensationalists believe. They don't believe that those things are for today. So it does away with the command. And the teachings of Christ throughout the Gospels. Well, you don't have to teach those things. And they rob their people of all of those things. taken away from individuals the greatest, powerful, motivating force that a child of God can have. And tell them they don't need that. And they strip away from them those things that can help them in so many ways. Those things were written for our learning. I can take the Gospels. I can take even the book of Matthew. And I can go through the, the ten virgins and preach the Gospel. I can talk about the judgment of the nations. And I can preach the Gospel. I can take the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. And take that one thing about you know the false prophets and the wolf. And your understanding that. You'll know them by their fruit, and I can preach to you the gospel. Because it doesn't contradict the gospel. Those are illustrations that help you to understand you cannot save yourself by your works. There's nothing wrong with those books. And I don't like it when somebody takes and tries to strip away the most powerful thing in all the world. What Jesus said. Now this is why this one verse is so powerful and so important. Look in Acts in chapter 28. And notice what it says in verse 25. This is at the end of Paul's ministry, right before he was going to lose his head. He's in Rome, and he says in verse 25, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. Here he is quoting the Old Testament again. Saying, Go unto this people and say, Hear, and ye shall hear, and shall not understand. See, and ye shall see, and not perceive." For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, and had great reason among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him. Preaching, now look what he was preaching to those people toward the end of his life. The very thing they say you're not supposed to talk about or to preach, and we don't need those things, that's not for the church. Well, look what he said. Preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no man forbidding him. In other words, he had the freedom to speak. And this is what they were doing. Now, if Paul did start the church, there is no command to the church then. And the baptizing, then it wouldn't have been to the church. So that means when Paul came, then he shouldn't have been baptized. And he should have had nothing to do with anybody being baptized if he's not under the command. But what does the scripture say? I thought you'd ask, and I want to show you this. Look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. You'll notice something that's very interesting. In verse 41, Then they that gladly received His word were what? They were baptized. So on the very first day that the church began, they were not only baptized by the Holy Spirit, many were baptized in water cause that was the command. This is what they were supposed to do. Also, notice they're in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And look in verse 12. We know at this time, right before Saul believed on the Lord and became Paul, it says here in verse 12, it says, "But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the What's those words? Kingdom of God. Same thing that Paul was preaching at the end of his ministry. Concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized. So were they still baptizing at this time? Yes. Also look there in uh, verse 35. This is Philip who is now preaching. And notice what he says. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip then answered and said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. So what was the key before you could be baptized? You had to believe, right? You had to believe on the Lord. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he believed that. Son of God is referring reference to his deity, Jesus Christ, He's the Messiah, but He's also God in the flesh. He commanded in verse 38, the chariot to stand still. They went both down into the water. Now, you don't go down into the water if all you need is to spring a little bit on the head. Then it says in verse 39, when they come up out of the water. Now, they were still baptizing at this time. Now, in chapter 9 is when Saul trusts the Lord. But notice what happens here in Verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and he arose and was what? Well, if it's not for his period of time, why did God baptize him? Why did he have to be baptized? But he was. Well, if it's not for his period of time, then why was he baptized? He was baptized because it's still part of the command. You trust the Lord, they were to be baptized in water. Look there also in chapter... 16, look in chapter 16. In chapter 16, look in verse 30. Now you know the story. Paul, Silas, in jail, midnight, and they were singing Amazing Grace, or Amazing Grace amazes me, they were singing one of those songs. And they must have said something about being saved. Because when the earthquake took place, the jailer thought that everybody's left, and so he was going to commit suicide. And Paul says, don't, we're all here. And so he says here in verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. He called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out, and said to him, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, keep the Ten Commandments, obey the golden rule, and go to Calvary Community Church, pay 50%. Well, if there's any time to say how to be saved, they should have said it right there. Don't you think it was a good time to say it? They asked the right question. They asked the right person. Surely he would have gave the right answer. And all he said was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And if you tell your household, they can be saved too. And then notice, as soon as that was over with in verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight way. Why did he baptize them if they didn't have to be baptized? Now, Paul maybe didn't baptize them, but he was with someone who did. It's only a conclusion. If Paul didn't do it, somebody that was with him did it. Then why didn't Paul say, ho! Oh, 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 this is a different dispensation, and they don't have to be baptized? Why didn't he stop them? Look who he is. But he didn't stop them. Why didn't he stop them? Because where is the command that says stop? The command to go into all the world and to baptize has been annulled. Where is it? Find it. It's not in there. Well, if it hasn't been rescinded, maybe it's still in effect. Is it possible? Maybe when he says go into all the world and preach to God, maybe we're still supposed to do that. Think it's possible? You think we might still have that responsibility? I think so. I think so. Take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. This does get a little interesting because Paul says, I don't want there to be divisions among you because these are so these Christians were so carnal, fleshly minded. He said, I can't even talk to you in the spiritual i got to talk to you as carnal Christians, babes in the Lord. And so he makes a statement in verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, same judgment. See, God wants His people to think the same way, have the same doctrine, believe the same thing, all be on the same page. Well, we would if we all believed the same thing and studied the Bible and go by what it says. But he says there's, there's contentions among you. So he says in verse 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Clo, that there are contentions among you. In other words, there's people that are each other's throat. You're antagonizing each other. There's divisions among you. You're not all on the same page. He goes through and he mentions 14 major problems in the church at Corinth. But notice what he says. It hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren. He doesn't deny their salvation. He just says you've got some problems. You correct people's problems by proper doctrine. So he says, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now notice what he says. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Now, it doesn't mean that there was nobody else to be baptized. He's talking to the church there in Corinth. Look how many churches there were. But he says, as far as you're concerned, he says this, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Now, if you had to be baptized to be saved, that would be a terrible thing to say. I'm so glad that I didn't save any of y'all. But that's not what it's referring to. You don't get baptized in water in order to be saved. But look what he says. In verse 15, you ought to underline this word, the word less. Why I'm so glad that I didn't baptize any of y'all, lest any should say that I had done what? Baptized in my own name. It didn't say he was against baptism. They refer to this verse as the documentation that Paul did not baptize. And the reason he didn't baptize because it's not for this dispensation. It's not for the church. That's not what he says. He says, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. In verse 16, and I baptized also this household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Well, if he's against it, why didn't he just say, it's not for now, it's not for this time, and blah, blah, blah. You can't find that anywhere in the scriptures. So he says in verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But it didn't mean that somebody else couldn't go with him and do the baptizing. Hold your place right here. I want you to see this over in John chapter 4, the gospel of John and chapter 4. If we take what they're saying or trying to make him say, is the truth that he was against baptism and that it's no longer effective for today. How would you explain chapter 4 of the Gospel of John? In verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Oh, competition going on here. Now get verse 2 and you ought to underline it. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. So even if Paul didn't baptize doesn't mean that Paul didn't approve of baptism. Because whenever he was there with the jailer, and after he had preached the gospel, and he believed on the Lord, somebody with Paul baptized the jailer and his family. Yes or no? Paul may not have done it, but Paul was with somebody that did. And the reason Paul didn't do it, he says, lest somebody would say, I baptize in my own name. If you had to be baptized in order to be saved, which some people teach. Jesus said that he baptized nobody. So if you have to be baptized to be saved, Jesus didn't save anybody. Cuz you have to be baptized to be saved. Well Jesus didn't baptize him. So whoever baptizes you is your savior. Let's say for example, I'm a lost man and you got to be baptized in water to be saved. Well if Justin here baptizes me, Justin Save me. I owe him my salvation. Because if he hadn't done it, I couldn't have been saved. You understand my reasoning? Whoever does what you have to do to be saved, does it for you, well, then that's the person you owe. I don't owe Justin anything. Because, see, I don't have to be baptized in water to be saved. I'm saved by Jesus Christ. He saved me, and I can thank the Lord for saving me, for giving me eternal life. But just because Jesus didn't baptize, does that mean he was against baptism? And just because Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize, many of you, lest somebody would say, I baptized in my own name, there was enough division as it was. Now go back there to verse 17 of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. This is what Paul was considered. He honed in on the gospel. He preached the gospel, but he had some people go with him that did the baptizing. And Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, also was used by the Lord. And the Holy Spirit guided him, and he wrote the book of Acts. And he's the one who went around a lot with the apostle Paul and wrote what took place. And where do you find it where? It doesn't apply anymore. He's the one that was with Christ. And he wrote the book of Luke. And then he continued it in the book of Acts. And it was been baptized all the way through. And there's nothing that says it's not for today. Because if that's not for today, neither is the great commission, the great command. And if it was only changed because Paul shows up, Think of all the training that all these apostles had had and what he had taught them in the gospels, and then all of a sudden say, Don't go, don't do anything. That command has been annulled, and so they say they preached a different gospel than what Paul preached. Paul preached grace. I got news for you. So did Jesus, so did all the apostles. So did all those Old Testament prophets, they all taught grace, that a man is saved by grace. And there's nothing to change that. And when the Bible talks about there is no other gospel than that which Paul said, I have delivered unto you. There is no other gospel by which a man is to be saved. You cannot earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. And the only way you can change the gospel of grace is you've got to add a works to it. So, do you think God's going to add works to the gospel? That's contrary to everything he teaches in the Bible. Then a man could glory or brag about that one thing he did that he added to the gospel. No man can save himself by any works that he does. So, baptism in water does not save you. But let's finish with this one verse. Look there in the book of Acts in chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And this is important Because Paul had led many of these people to the Lord in Ephesus. And he's the one that writes to them. And in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, he says that the Gentiles were without the commonwealth of Israel, without the promises, without hope, without God in this world. But now are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And he says, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets toward the end of that chapter. So... They already had a foundation laid. Paul showed them how to build the church on top of the foundation and gave us all kinds of wonderful information that had never been given before. But Paul didn't start it. Christ had already made the statement, upon this rock I will what? I will build my church. And that's in the book of Matthew. In chapter 16, it was already declared. Now here in the book of Acts in chapter 19. You'll notice in verse 1, the Apostle Paul comes through, came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, where the church of the Ephesians were, and finding certain disciples, they were Jews, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? They him unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John truly, verily, baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. Now, this is Paul telling what John the Baptist preached. And where does Paul change the gospel? If Paul, John preached that you had to believe on Jesus to be saved... Well, what kind of a message does Paul preach? Different than that? Or is it the same message that he preached? And then he makes this statement. When they heard this, in verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why would Paul take the Ephesian people and have them baptized in water if they didn't have to be? Or shouldn't have been? But Paul's the one that had it done. If he didn't do it, he had somebody else do it. But he's talking to the church there in Corinth. He says, I'm glad only Christmas engaged. He says, outside of the household of Stephanus, I, I don't know of anybody else there. But see, there, Paul went into a lot of places. But see, when people don't read and study the Bible thoroughly enough, you'd be surprised how your doctrine can be changed and not even know it. And it can sound so right, and they build things upon things that are false. One of the greatest things you'll do is read the book. Read, read, read. Study, study, study. Now, if all of this is true, and I believe that it is, then I believe that the great commission that he gave when he came back from the dead and before ascended into heaven, go into all the world and preach the gospel, I still believe that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. This is why Hank came here. And that's why I went to Denver. Lee Patton went to San Antonio. and Wally went down into Texas. And others went all over the place. Why? because we believe that. Take that out of there. Take it out of there. And you have messed up the greatest motivating thing that challenges a person to do what they should, because we believe we're fulfilling the will of God. It's what God wants in whatsoever city you go into, whatsoever house you enter into. He said this is what you say, this is what you do, and we should do that. Look up here. This hand representing you and me. And this wallet represents sin. You know why Hank did this all the time? He might have used a songbook, but same story. And why we do it all the time? Because today I've had about three or four that indicated they trusted Christ as Savior just by watching online. Is it worth it? We do all of this work. We even pay somebody like Jesse back there to, to work and all these messages to put on YouTube and all that. Well, this, why do all of that if it's not necessary? We don't have to do this. Let's just don't do anything. What would, be your, what would your life be like if you weren't serving God? It is my life. It is, it is for real. Or we take the Bible, throw it in the trash, and forget all about it, and just do whatever we want to do. Or we take the thing seriously. Missions. Our sole investment. I love that statement. This is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin on us. God loves the whole world. And the whole world has sinned against God. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from the Lord in hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We have all come short of God's perfection. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. came into the world because He loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from Him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But because he loved us, we couldn't do anything about the situation. He took all the sin and died in our place, came back from the dead. And said if we would believe that he did it for us, he would give us as a free gift, everlasting life. And we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. The other day there was a lady who came to do some cleaning around here. And I says, I gotta talk to you. I talked to her. At first she thought she was going to heaven when I asked her the question, I said, is there any way that you can go to hell in the future? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Then they really don't know where they're going when they die. So I talked to her. She trusted the Lord. I talked to her and Betty and some of the others to talked to her about coming to church today. She came to church today and she brought a boy with her. Two of them came to church today. Now, you see, we don't do this if it's not for real. Are we just playing games or is this a serious thing? I walked out of the sale that they had yesterday. Well, when I walked in, John John was talking to somebody. But that was okay. I spent a little time checking on everything. I went back out. Now he's got somebody else. So I came over here and I worked on a few things. I went back out. John John was talking to somebody else. Now he has to do that to go to heaven, see? (laughs) Aren't you glad you don't have to do that? It could be the reason because maybe he knows I'm responsible and this is for real. And maybe it has something to do with maybe he loves the Lord. Maybe he doesn't want that person to go to hell. Whatever the reasons may be, do it. So well, I don't have the proper, I don't care what your motivation, just do it. The person you reach will be glad whether you did it for the right motive or not. I would rather you be obedient and do what God says to do. And if you don't like the word command, call it anything that you want, but do it. We are responsible. Christ came back from the dead, and the only thing he wanted us to do was believe that he did it for us, that we did, he did it for us. And all we had to do is believe it, and he would give us as a free gift everlasting life, and we'd go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's pray, shall we? With his bowed eyes closed and no one looking around. If you're here tonight and have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust Him right now? You that are watching by internet, if you have never trusted the Lord, do it right now. Right on the screen says, Yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior, and I pray that you will. We'll never know who you are unless you email us, but we would like to know that somebody did hear and understand. If you've already trusted the Lord, you don't need to do it. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you say, Yes, I will trust the Lord tonight as my only hope of going to heaven, Friend, if you've never done it, do it right now. And if you will make that decision, I'd like to have prayer for you. Would you just slip your hand in very quickly, put it right back down? I'm not going to have you forward, not going to embarrass you, but with your heads bowed, nice clothes, anyone at all. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for all you do for us. And help us, Father, to know the truth, stand for the truth, because these things do make a difference. All air affects our life, affects the way we think, because there's a truth that we had to set aside in order to believe something that's not in your word. So bless each one of us. Thank you for our church. Do pray, Lord, for those that are not feeling well, that you would help them heal their bodies. But Father, there's so much that needs to be done, so much work to do, and help us to lean upon you, to trust you. We want your guidance in all the things that, where we make plans, but we want you to feel free to you can change them, do whatever you want to do. We're in your hands. We thank you, Lord, for those who have given for missions over the year. So many people have been blessed because of it. We thank you for them in Christ's name. Amen.